All right, Professor Tufano here, Chapter 3. This is the second section of Chapter 3. I broke it down into two uh, audio podcasts, so this will be the second section starting on page 84 under um, Impression Management and Social Media. And then it talks about Impression Management and Honesty. And we have Self-Disclosure, Disclosing Self. Models of self-disclosure, awareness of self-disclosure, benefits and risks of self-disclosure. And alternatives to self-disclosure. Okay, so um, let's start on, um, okay, page 84. So, um, in the previous section, uh, the first part of this um, uh, lecture series, we talked about examples of impression management that had to do with face-to-face interactions, human-to-human interaction. But obviously, when we're talking about social media, this is going to be interactions that do not take place, obviously, face-to-face, whether they're emails or texts or... um, you know, anywhere, I mean, that you're just not face-to-face. I mean, even FaceTime and those kind of uh, Skype and Zoom is still, um, we're still, that would still be managing impressions uh, via some electronic connection and that would still fall into this idea of social media, although most of the examples in this section um, are at least uh, seven to ten years old, so the current technologies um, operate at the change and improve at the speed of light. So it doesn't matter who's writing a textbook when, you're always going to be way behind the curve as far as the uh, advances in technology and communication. So, But it is true that uh, there's uh, impression management is used uh, in both face-to-face interactions and also mediated interactions. And so we'll talk about the mediated, mediated ones as well. Okay. So um, where are we going to start here? Because I'm trying to cut out the, the uh, stuff that deals with really emailing. But um, comments posted on social networking sites create impressions, obviously. Um, Twitter, which is an electronic garbage can, um, there's all sorts of virtue signaling uh, going on there. Um, I've been on other sites. I mean, it happens with um, Facebook, I'm sure, as well. Uh, people are trying to be more virtuous than the other, and so they'll post all sorts of pictures uh, or videos of them interacting in virtuous ways to compare and contrast uh, those who are not virtuous at all or uh, maybe lack virtue. And those are kind of the big, the big kind of compare and contrasts that you see on the social media sites for sure. So it says here, for instance... One study showed that Facebook users are more likely to express positive rather than negative emotions, and that they uh, present um, and that they present better emotional well-being online than in real life. Um, yeah, I imagine when you see uh, pictures, people post pictures of people happy and doing positive things, and that's probably mostly mostly true. It says viewing your online presence as a neutral third party can be a valuable impression management exercise. And then it gives you some examples about entering your name in a search engine, see what pops up. You may decide it's time to engage in what researchers call reputation management. Yeah, and there's plenty of uh, 
people that do that as a as a uh, vocation or as a business or an organization. Impression management and honesty. It says at first, impression management may seem like an academic label for manipulation or phoniness. There certainly are situations where people misrepresent themselves to gain the trust of people. Um, I know that on some of the dating sites, um, I've been told, um, because I haven't dated since the Stone Age, but they uh, will have pictures from uh, old pictures uh, from years ago. So um, pictures that may uh, be, uh, in a sense, better looking, whatever that means, than maybe the current picture that someone may post. Uh, a man manipulative date who pretends to be affectionate to gain sexual favors is clearly unethical and deceitful. So are job applicants who lie about their academic records to get hired or salespeople who pretend to be dedicated to customer service when their real goal is to uh, just make some quick money. So this idea of, of impression management and honesty is interesting. Deception in cyberspace is common. Indeed, uh, it may be normative to distort reality online. So they talk about different studies where uh, a large percentage of people engaged in deceptive behaviors and not talking about memes or, you know, um, these deep fake videos, just talking about people themselves being deceitful, manipulative. It says a quarter of teens have pretended to be different people online and uh, some confess that they've given false information and... Um, uh, in some cases to attract uh, individuals or businesses or to maybe even try to, um, you know, do things dishonest to uh, do, and do things that are fraudulent. So um, it says, uh, interviewees in one study acknowledge the delicate task of balancing an ideal online identity against the real safe self. Many admitted that they sometimes fudged facts about themselves using outdated photos or forgetting information about their age, for instance, but respondents were less tolerant when prospective dates also posted inaccurate um, identities. So I guess if you're on a dating site where both uh, parties are being deceptive, I guess maybe that cancels it out. But it does say they raise examples of ethical questions about impression management. Uh, is it okay to omit certain information? Uh, is it best to put your uh, best, uh, putting your best foot forward in a job interview? Is it legitimate to act more confident and reasonable than you feel otherwise? Um, likewise, are you justified in acting attentive in a boring conversation? I mean, all these are kind of interesting moral dilemmas. Okay, let's talk about uh, disclosing self, self-disclosure. This is one of my uh, favorite sections um, of the book so far. Um, I want you to listen to a song by Chris Lane. It's a country song. I know some of you... Um, don't like that genre of music or wouldn't listen to it, but I like it um, personally. But this song, I think, when it comes to self-disclosure is kind of interesting. I'm, I'm going to probably share the lyrics of it just briefly, but but uh, I don't know about you. This is uh, Chris Lane. I don't know about you. And it, I think it has a good talks about uh, self-disclosure. Come into this fight on a Thursday before 10 o'clock. But I thought, what the hell, why? I don't know about you, but I never walk up and talk to 
a stranger But when I saw you I had to I just had to Girl, I know your favorite beer Cause you told me And I bought it You can leave me sitting right here But if you feel like Talking What's your name? What's your sign? What's your birthday? What's your wrist tattoo? Bible verse Tell me this, do you kiss on the first day? Don't hold anything down. What's your dream job, girl? Where's your hometown? It will make your world spin around and around. And are you down to get out of here too? Tell me everything till there's nothing I don't know about you. That's Chris Lane. Um, I don't know about you. Um, interesting, uh, the lyrics, you could look those up, but um, is that self-disclosure? So um, he's asking, what's your name, what's your sign, what's your birthday? What's your wrist tattoo, Bible verse say? And ask a couple other things. But um, that's not uh, self-disclosure. Uh, and I, I use that as uh, an example, not only is, do I like the song, but the lyrics, I think, are apropos for this idea of self-disclosure. Because self-disclosure is about um, what uh, an individual uh, voluntarily discloses to another. Um, not um, when uh, someone asks you a series of questions or interrogates you or interviews you. That's not self-disclosure. So that's uh, an introduction here to this section. But it says, what we choose to disclose about ourselves is an important component of impression management. So what constitutes self-disclosure? Right? You might argue that aside from secrets, it's impossible not to make yourself known to others. After all, every time you open your mouth to speak, you're revealing your taste, your interests, desires, opinions, beliefs, uh, those kind of things. And every verbal and nonverbal behavior in which you engage is self-revealing. That's true. How can self-disclosure be distinguished from any other act of communication? Right? And then it says here, this theorist says um, self-disclosure must contain personal information, uh, must communicate the information verbally, and um, the other person must be the target, right? So uh, someone interviewing you or interrogating you and you answering that, that's not self-disclosure. It's when you, the communicator, disclose yourself voluntarily and it's to a particular um, person, not, not even more general. So does your Facebook page, is that self-disclosure? Well, that is information about you, but it's not to a particular person. Um, and so self-disclosure is normally thought to be, uh, there needs to be a target, which would be a particular person. So now they talk about honesty, depth, availability, information, and context sharing. Uh, honesty, it almost goes without saying that true self-disclosure has to be honest. Depth, a self-disclosing statement is generally regarded as being personal, containing relatively deep rather than surface information. Availability, availability of information, self-disclosing messages must contain information that the other person is not likely to know at the time or to be able to obtain from another source. So obviously, if they got it off your Facebook page, that would not be considered self-disclosure. Uh, context of sharing, sometimes self-disclosing, uh, the self-disclosing nature of a statement comes from the setting in which it is uttered. For instance, relatively innocuous information about family life seems more personal when a student shares it with the class. So uh, to summarize self-disclosure, 
has the self as a subject, is intentional, is directed at another person, is honest, is revealing, contains information generally unavailable from another source. And seven, it gains much of its intimate nature from the context in which it's um, communicated. But self-disclosure is an important part of, uh, of um, communication. So self-disclosure. Um, all right, so those are the seven, seven parts of the uh, definition of self-disclosure. Okay, so they have different models of self-disclosure, and they have a couple here. I'm not going to spend any great time. Uh, social penetration model. And then they have the Jahari window model. Um, so take a look at both of those. Um, there's some interesting ideas. But usually self-disclosure has, has two parts, the depth and the breadth of it for sure. So when it comes to self-disclosure, just non-personal information, or th that stuff is normally not thought to be um, the kind of information that we're talking about in regards to, to self-disclosure. It normally has to be um, something of relative depth uh, rather than kind of surface information, right? So you could just talk about, you know, where you go to school and what, you know, what job you have. And that's just thought about that kind of information is thought to be um, very surface information. But usually when you're talking about kind of um, experiences and uh, emotions and things tied to those kind of things, um, that's more of the kind of stuff that um, when individuals reciprocate and self-disclose, typically one person will make a uh, statement or comment that is um, somewhat um, emotional in content, and then another person would respond in kind. So that's kind of typical. But it does deal with the breadth and the depth of the information that is self-disclosure. Okay, so we're going to move on to the benefits and risks of self-disclosure, page 92. By now, it should be clear that neither all-out disclosure nor complete privacy is desired. On one hand, self-disclosure is a key factor in relational development and relationships suffer when people keep important information from another. On the other hand, revealing deep personal information could threaten the stability or even the survival of a relationship, right? And then in regards to information you have either too little or too much or kind of just right. So if you reveal too little, it may be hard to create or develop uh, an intimate uh, relationship. And then if you, uh, say, provide too much information, either uh, the quantity or the depth of it that's too deep too soon, uh, TMI kicks in and it also creates a barrier to developing a relationship. So there is kind of that balance of how much and how quick um, that um, in, in relationships that develop naturally, there is a, this somewhat of a, a good balance there between uh, how fast and how deep you provide information. Benefits of disclosure, catharsis. Sometimes you might disclose information in an effort to get it off your chest. Catharsis can indeed relieve the burden of pent-up emotions. Even uh, whether it's face-to-face -face or online, self-clarification is often possible to clarify your beliefs, opinions, or thoughts, attitudes, or feelings by talking about them with another person. Self-validation, if you disclose information with, information with the hope of seeking the listener's agreement, you are seeking validation of your behavior. 
reciprocity, a well-documented conclusion from its research is that one person's act of self-disclosure increases the odds that the other person will reveal personal information as well. It's reciprocal in nature for sure. Impression formation, sometimes we reveal uh, personal information to make ourselves more attractive and research shows that this strategy seems to work. One study revealed that both men and women's attractiveness was associated with the amount of self-disclosure in conversations. Relational maintenance and enhancement. Research demonstrates that we like people who disclose personal information to us. In fact, the relationship between self-disclosure and liking works in several directions. We like people who disclose personal information to us. We, re we reveal more about ourselves to people we like, and we tend to like others more after we, after we have disclosed to them. And then appropriate self-disclosure is positively related to marital satisfaction. Disclosing spouses give their relationship higher evaluations. Moral obligation. Sometimes we disclose personal information out of a sense of moral obligation. Like you go on a date and then you tell them, oh, by the way, uh, I'm still married. Or, oh, by the way, I still live with my, uh, my uh, significant other. You know, those kind of moral obligations. Risks of self-disclosure. Although the benefits of disclosing are certainly important, opening it up can also involve risks that make a decision to disclose a difficult and sometimes painful one. Rejection in answering the question that forms the title of the book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? John Powell summed up the risk of disclosing. I am afraid to tell you who I am because if I tell you who I am, you may, you may not like who I am, and that's all I have. The fear of disapproval is powerful. Negative uh, impressions, even if disclosure doesn't lead to total rejection, it could create negative impressions. Decreases in relational satisfaction. Besides affecting others' opinions of you, disclosure can lead to a decrease in satisfaction that comes from relationships. Loss of influence. Another risk of disclosure is the potential loss of influence in the relationship once you confess a secret weakness. Once you confess a secret weakness, Once you um, confess a secret weakness, you control, you contr your control over how the other person views you can be dimin dis uh, diminished. So once you confess a secret weakness, your control over how the other person views you can be diminished. Loss of control. Loss of control. Revealing something personal about yourself means, means losing control of the information. What may happen if the person tells others what you've disclosed to them? And hurting the other person, even if revealing hidden information leaves you feeling better, it might hurt others, cause them to be upset. For example, it's probably easy to imagine yourself in a situation. Um, and here's an example. Well, since you asked, I have, I have felt less attracted to you lately. I know that you can't help it, but you know what? I just, I'm not attracted anymore. You could see where, um, you know, if you are going to hurt someone else's feelings, Revealing certain information may not be beneficial to the relationship. Okay, guidelines for seeking self-disclosure. Is the other person important to you? Is the risk of disclosing reasonable? Is the, is the self-disclosure appropriate? Is it disclosure reciprocated? Will the effects be constructive? So those are really a couple of, uh, you know, good headings there. Self-disclosure is a special kind of sharing that is not appropriate for every situation. Uh, is the other person important to you? There are several ways in, w in which someone may be important. 
perhaps you have an ongoing relationship deep enough to share significant parts of yourself. Is the risk of disclosing, re disclosing reasonable? Most people intuitively calculate the potential risk of disclosing against the risks of doing so. Is self-disclosure appropriate? Some people have trouble with uh, the, pop the term TMI, that is sharing too much information, and that is too, inf too much information, deep information, and, uh, and how soon the information is shared. Is, is disclosure reciprocated? There's nothing quite as disconcerting as talking your heart out to someone only to discover the other person has yet to say anything to you that is half as revealing. Yeah. Will the effect be constructive? Self-disclosure can be a vicious tool if it's not used carefully. Every person has a psychological beltline, and below that beltline are areas about which the person is extremely sensitive. It's important to consider the effects of your candor before opening up to others. Alternatives to self-disclosure. Although self-disclosure plays an important role in interpersonal relationships, it isn't the only type of communication available. We have silence. We have lying. We have equivocation. These are other ways. And then they talk about the ethics of evasion. Okay, silence. One alternative to self-disclosure is to keep your thoughts to yourself and your feelings to yourself. Uh, lie is the next one, an alternative to self-disclosure. So one is silence. Don't say anything. Another one is lying. A lie is a deliberate attempt to hide or misrepresent the truth. Lying to gain an unfair advantage over an unknowing victim seems clearly wrong. But another kind of mistruth, the benevolent lie, isn't so easy to dismiss as completely unethical. So um, some of you are going to like this section because they talk about different kinds of lying. Um, I'm not so sure that, that, um, that these... Uh, these different um, distinctions are going to be useful because either something is true or something is not. A matter of if you say it or how you say it or when you say it may be a whole um, separate thing. But uh, we'll talk about this section. So, uh, benevolent lie, um, it says here, defined, at least by the people who tell them, as not being malicious and perhaps that they are even helpful to the person to whom they are told. Whether or not they are innocent, benevolent lies are certainly common. And um, there's a, they give um, on page 99, table 3.1, some reasons for lying. Uh, saving face for others, saving face for self, acquiring resources, protecting resources, initiate interaction, being socially gracious, avoiding conflict, avoiding interaction, leave-taking, present a co uh, competent image, increasing social desirability and exaggeration. And again, I'm not so sure that those would be useful if you're attempting to uh, develop, create, or maintain a, uh, a healthy relationship. But uh, there they are that you can kind of um, take a look at those. Not all lies are equally devastating according to the book. Feelings such as dismay and betrayal, betrayal are the greatest when a relationship is most intense, the importance of the subject is high, and when, when there was previous suspicion that the other person wasn't being completely honest. Of these three factors, the importance of the information lied about proved to be the key factor in provoking a relational crisis. Uh, the lesson is clear. Lying about major parts of the relationship can have the gravest uh, uh, consequences. Equivocation. Lying isn't the only alternative to self-disclosure. When faced with difficult disclosure, communicators can often equivocate. Statements that are not literally false but clearly avoid the unpleasant truth. The value of equivocation becomes clear when you consider the alternative. Consider the dilemma of what to say when you've been given an unwanted present. 
an unwanted present? How should you respond? Um, yeah, equivocation. And then hinting. Hints are more direct than equivocal um, statements. Um, it says here, uh, message, the equivocal um, message isn't necessarily aimed at changing another's behavior. A hint seeks to get the desired response from the other person. Direct statement. You're too overweight to be ordering dessert. Face-saving hint. Oh, these desserts are quite overpriced. A direct statement. I'm too busy to continue with this conversation. I wish you'd let me go. Face-saving hint. I know you're busy. I better let you go. So, yeah, those are kind of interesting. And then lastly, the uh, ethics of evasion. It's easy to see why people often choose hints, equivocations, and benevolent lies instead of self-disclosure. These strategies provide a way to maintain difficult situations that, that is easier than the alternatives for both the speaker and the receiver of the message. In a sense, successful liars, equivocators, and hinters can be said to possess a certain kind of communication competence. On the other hand, there are times when honesty is the right approach, even if it's painful. At times like these, evaders could be viewed as lacking either the competence or the integrity to handle the situation effectively. Okay, so that uh, wraps up the uh, chapter three, and then I do recommend th that you take a look at uh, the check your understanding and the various objectives and then the activities and the key terms, uh, because whether we're tested on them or not, I think they're very useful to gaining a better understanding of yourself and interpersonal communication, okay? So this uh, concludes the second section of Chapter 3. Hope you enjoyed it. To find out.